it. Thank you. We have all these terminologies. We used to say, take your seats. And I think, well, where do we take them to, you know? But it's so good to be with you. It, it feels like coming home. Um, lots of thank you. Lots of emotions for me right now because it was five years ago that we were on a retreat with the team here. And I was feeling quite unwell, but we just pushed through. And when I arrived home in Adelaide, I collapsed at the airport. And my daughter normally doesn't come to meet me at the gate, but she was at the gate because her mum and her were going to take me out to dinner. And I couldn't walk up the steps. And to cut a long story short, within two days, uh, I was in hospital and a couple of days later diagnosed with cancer with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer and five years ago a journey began that I had no idea was going to go the way it has gone and on this Resurrection Sunday I feel a real grateful heart and I feel a grateful heart. I think the church has lost that bit of gratefulness sometimes of just the eternal hope that we have. I'm not grateful today because I'm alive. I am grateful for that. But I came to discover five years ago that we don't live for eternity, we live from eternity. And I'm here, but I belong somewhere else. Like we are as Bible-believing, resurrection Jesus-believing people. And we should live on this planet with the accent of home. The church is not living with its proper accent. You see, your accent gives you away. I met some beautiful people this morning. I knew they were South African the moment they opened their mouth. <laughs> One of my favourite, well, it is my favourite accent. But my dad's Italian, and I've told you many stories in the past about my dad. He's 87, and he still talk like that. <laughs> because he came to Australia from Italy with us, with me, I'm an only child, in 1960. I was four years old and I have taken on the accent of Australia but my dad had lived home long enough in his country that he still talks like that today. Now, when he talks like that, you're not going to think he's South African. You're not going to think he's from China because his accent gives him away. You know he's Italian just by the way he talks with his hands. But not only that, when you visit my dad, you don't, you don't find my dad cooking, uh, you know, rice in the kitchen and you can smell it. You smell the pasta sauce because his language is connected to his culture. So when you walk into his house, his culture is seen. His language is heard. And the church is about to get its accent back because we've lost it. And the church is about to get its culture back, which is our culture from heaven on how to be here on earth representing the resurrected Christ. You see, five years ago, and I, I was going to read some resurrection scriptures, but because of time, I'm just going to move quickly because there's some prophetic things I want to share today. But five years ago was the beginning of a journey that only the year before I had been diagnosed with cancer in the bowel, and I came through that. But only the year before that, my son died killed by a lightning strike. <laughs> 
So you think 2.16, 2.17, 2.18. I've shared parts of this in my Zoom or by recorded message I sent and I don't want to spend a lot on it because some of you may not have heard it and some of you may, but I want to remind you if you did hear it before that when the doctors came in on this last time and said to my wife, you may only have a short time. Uh, do we talk about life support? And as I was listening to this, the tears began to run down my face and my wife was sitting there watching me, wondering, what's he thinking? And she goes, are you scared? And I said, no, I'm not. I just can't describe the peace I'm feeling right now. I can't describe to you. And within a short time, not only did I feel peace, I felt that God was present. That's why today we're not talking about a dead Jesus. We're talking about a resurrected Christ because he was with me. To the point where a nurse walks in and says, what's the aura in this room right now? And then she looked across and there's a Bible next to me on the little you know, table they bring your food on. She goes, you don't still believe in that, do you? And I said to her, have you ever heard of the resurrection? She goes, the Easter story? I said, yeah, the Easter story. You see, I don't live for down here, but I have an eternal hope. And she goes, I'm glad you're telling me that because if you told me your Jesus was going to fix everything wrong in my life, I would have slapped you. My brother died last year with cancer and my husband divorced me. And I don't know if your Jesus can fix all those messes. I said, internally he can. People have choices and people, sometimes we're victims of other people's choices, but eternity is a different story. And that gives me my hope because I know it's real because God's present. She goes, I can feel him in this room. And then she just looked at me. I'm in bed. I've got, you know, tubes in my arms. And she goes, can I come over and give you a hug? And I realised I didn't need one of these. I didn't need a pulpit to be in my purpose. And when we walk with Jesus, we have peace. He is present and we live with purpose. I meet every week with non-Christians. I'm spending more time with non-Christians now than ever. I love it. They are my church now. On Wednesdays, I work for a flooring company, showing them the ways of God through business. And I don't use the Christian language, but the owner of the business says, at the end of your time, you can have an extra hour with Danny to talk about your personal life. And I'm praying with people. I'm not behind a pulpit, but I've got a platform because we are not people who have ministries. We are ministry. So many people fighting for the pulpit, fighting for position, fighting to have a place in the church. And why isn't my gift recognised? But I want to tell you, my friends, today we don't need to be recognised for our positions. We need to be positioned to operate in our purpose. And I'm talking to non-Christians and I'm going, the reason why you're unhappy is you're either one living for provision you're just living every day just to be provided for. And that's, we all got to do it. We got to eat. But most of you go from provision to prosperity. I want to make lots and lots of money. I want to be rich because then I'm going to be happy. And you miss the most important, you don't have a purpose. 
I have to live for provision. We all do. If you don't work, you don't eat. But I don't want to live for prosperity. That's guaranteed when you're a Christian because you know what prosperity is? Having enough to do the will of God. My definition of prosperity is having enough to do the will of God. So I have a friend, Joe, which I'll show the photos to Don later today. I haven't showed him yet. Who's now bought his sixth Ferrari, Lamborghini, one of the only few made in the world, paid over a million dollars for a couple of weeks ago. A Dino uh, uh, Ferrari that was owned by Jetson uh, Button in England. And he's on medication for depression. Living for prosperity without a purpose leaves you totally disappointed. And he says to me, every time I get a new toy, the joy gets shorter and shorter and shorter. Doesn't even enjoy it. Why am I saying all this? Because I'm grateful for the resurrected Christ that today we're not living by religion and we're not living by ritual, but we're living by a relationship that is so, so powerful. And I believe the church for a while has been a little dormant. And not only do we resur- are we believing in a resurrected Christ this morning, God is about to resurrect the church where it's been dead like never before. <laughs> The world is getting so crazy that the world has had enough with the world. (laughs) I am sitting with non-Christians and they're going, this world's going to pot, but they don't use the word pot. (laughs) And they go, what is happening? And they say to me every Friday, I meet with six non-Christian businessmen and they go, Danny, does the Bible talk about this? Does the Bible talk about climate change? Does the Bible talk about male, female or gender fluid or transgender and all? You know what I do? I don't speak to them. I just find scripture and I say, have a read of this. And then I say to them, can you tell me what that says to you right now as you're reading it? And it's opening up these conversations where many of them now are being totally affected, not by religion, but by a genuine knowledge of a God who is real, who gives us peace, He's present with us, and He releases purpose in our lives. I, like Don and Julia, would feel the same, walk past the photos of my son in our house and my heart melts. I still miss him. It's seven years ago now. I watch my grandson who's 21 and at his 21st birthday, The photos up there of the day he was born with me and his dad holding him. And I have to walk out the room and cry out in the street because I don't want to upset people inside because he's not here to watch his grandson, to watch his son become such a beautiful young man of God. He works in Pastor David Hall's church. He's on staff there. Four grandchildren that lost their father and every one of them loved Jesus today because their father put a resurrected eternal message in their hearts when they were little. And so this morning I'm very, very grateful that we don't have to stand here in a religious posture but stand in a reality posture because people are sick of church that's not authentic. People are sick of church that isn't real. I am spending so much time with non-Christians that hate the church but are really open to Jesus. But the good news is, this is not negative this morning, the church is about to have an incredible restoration. God is doing something so, so powerful 
in the midst of such a sick world, in the midst of such darkness, we are seeing more people come to Christ than in all my years of ministry right now. Let me explain. My son Michael was totally broken by sin, deception, and had a worldwide ministry. And his life came crashing down so bad that I thought he was going to die. I would sit in hospital in a mental health ward with police guard outside because he was on suicide watch. I would go from Sunday morning with my hands reached out, worshipping Jesus, tears running down my face. People think I was experiencing God. I was just broken. And I'd go in my car up the road to Flinders Hospital to visit a son who was shut away in a room that wouldn't talk. Suicidal under police watch. But I've watched over the last 10 years him allow God to heal him, not at an altar call, but every single day of his life over a long period of time. And as I stand before you today, he is running a mission in Port Adelaide where we live where he's feeding around 3,000 people a week that are broken off the streets. Indigenous Aboriginal people coming in and not just getting free food and not just getting free clothing, but finding Jesus. And we are now having kids that have been on ice and heroin and brokenness asking to be baptised, asking to be released to help others. We've got one guy, Willie, who was sailing around the world on a yacht to raise money for the disabled. But he'd been abandoned as a child and left on the streets at the age of 11. His mother died many years later. He had no relationship as I know the story and left him a lot of money. And left him a lot of money and he bought a yacht. And he decided he was with his dog Mischief. (laughs) Willie and his dog Mischief are going to sail around the world to raise money for the disabled and he gets shipwrecked. He gets shipwrecked in uh, Port Lincoln, South Australia, and Channel 10, the project, which is not a good program, but they raised money to buy him a boat through a GoFundMe page and he got another boat for $40,000. It was a smaller one and he sailed all the way to South Australia and his drug addiction got hold of him and he was a total mess and walks in off the street into the mission. My son Michael says, hey, what's your name? Is Willie. He says, Willie, we're not here to give you a handout. We're here to give you a hand up. Welcome to the family. Puts his arms around the smelly drug addict, addicted. He's, he's begun a methadone program. And Willie now is totally drug free. Totally set free. He's not on the methadone. He's had to, he had to come down from the methadone treatment and that was a big job. So every Friday night we have church. This, let me tell you what it looks like and I will give you some scriptures and some prophetic words. But this is my personal testimony with the family. Can I share with the family? I'm boasting on Jesus, not on us, okay, because I thought I was going to lose this kid. 
So let me as a dad be excited with you today and go, hey, this is what resurrection power can do. He doesn't just, Jesus didn't just die and was resurrected. He keeps resurrecting the dead, the dead dreams, the dead visions, the dead marriages, the dead lots of things he resurrects. That's what he does. And so every Friday night, so we now have Lighthouse City Mission, Lighthouse Community Church and Lighthouse Kingdom Family. They're three different expressions of the ministry. But every Friday night, we have over 3,000 during the week come through to get free food, free clothing. We have dinner at 6.30 with people that are so-called churchians, people that go to church that have never been through this stuff and people that are totally broken sitting at the same table. Having a meal together and at 7.30 we start to worship. We don't say, let's start the service. Because Willie's sitting there with his dog mischief in his lap. We got a church where people bring their pets. We got a new dogma. Sorry. We're not pussyfooting around. I say, oh no. I'm getting old. I tell really bad dad jokes. How do you get the attention of a country girl? A tractor. And you go, oh. But don't hold me up. Don't hold me up. At 7.30, Mike starts to play and people just stop. They're eating and they start singing. Tears start to run down their faces. Presence of God comes. Then we pray for them. And then we go back after the service. I'll speak for 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Michael will speak. And we pack 500 lunches for the local schools, two of them, that their kids don't get breakfast or lunch when they go to school. And so we've got drug addicts making lunches for the local school as we're praying over those lunches. I want to tell you, he's a resurrection God who can take the deadest things and turn them around. So do I live with pain every day? But it's overridden by purpose that comes from knowing a God that restores. And so I want to prophesy this morning that the Church of Jesus Christ is about to see a new awakening and it's already begun. It has already begun. I'm not just saying it. God is resurrecting the church back to its original purpose where it's not just about bums on seats and it's not just about people that are offended. We ought to write all the old hymns again. Oh, for Jesus, I'm offended. Oh, for Jesus, I'm not coming back. (laughs) Most of church growth in our world right now is transfer growth because offended people leave one place and join another. While there's a world going to hell. If you've ever heard a man called Jordan Peterson who's on a journey of coming to faith, who's one of the world's top psychologists, we're only talking about it this morning. He says, if the church really believed the message of God, we wouldn't behave the way we do. Do you know why there's problems in the church? Because God allows it. Because when there's problems in the church, we have to become like Jesus in resolving those things. So instead of cleaving and finding God and growing, we leave. And so we have Christianity that's become churchianity and people are stuck in a place of spiritual immaturity. Now, I'm speaking as a dad here today 
And I want to say it's good news. It's all changing. God, there is a shift, a shift and a lift that I've spoken about in this church many times. And it's happening right now because we need authentic Christianity back in the church. A churchian is a church goer. A Christian is a Christ follower. So when stuff happens in the church, a Christian says, Jesus, what do you want me to do with this? What do you want me to learn, God? What do you want me to do in reaching my brother, my sister? That's a Christian, not a churchian. See, a churchian is offended. A Christian is extended. There's a big difference. You see, a churchian will transition, but a Christian transforms. So every time we hit the wall on something, God allows it to be there. So we go, what lessons, what character do I need to grow in me? What do I need to do so that I become more like Jesus? That's what Peter did. When you look at the life of Peter, he hit the wall and he rejected, you know, that he knew Jesus and and, and talk about ending up by being crucified upside down. But you've got to say about Peter, he kept getting transformed. Judas kept transitioning. One kills himself. The other one lays his life down, crucified upside down. You see, I want to get to a place where I'm not offendable. And what happened when I got cancer and the peace came, God's presence came and I'm leading people to Christ in my hospital room. All of a sudden, this became my life scripture. I want to read it to you. It's only a couple of verses, James chapter 1, verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, Consider it an opportunity to get upset and leave the church. No, 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 sorry, I missed that. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. Yes. (coughs) Excuse me. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. When I got cancer, my faith was tested. My endurance got an opportunity to grow. And I can't tell you today how beautiful it is to be in a place where I don't need anything. I don't need to preach. I don't need to stand on a platform because I've got a platform wherever I go. I am ministry. I don't need to be recognised. I don't need to go to big churches. And all of a sudden I thought, why didn't I have this when I was young? (laughs) I want these guys to have this so that we don't live entitled. You know, the spirit of the age comes into the church. And just like the world lives entitled, so do people in the church. When we are meant to be different because we have need of nothing And let me read to you Psalm 125, verse 1. Those who trust in the Lord are secure. As Mount Zion, they will not be defeated but will endure. I don't want to get cancer again. I hope I've learnt the lessons. And it wasn't nice, but it wasn't wasted time. As a result, I got to minister to surgeons. I got to minister to nurses and one of my surgeons said to me, do you think you could become an ambassador for the Leukemia Foundation? 
Because this hope that you've got is missing. We'd love you to give it to people. And I'm thinking, oh my God, when we are totally surrendered. And ladies and gentlemen, this morning, I've heard a million sermons on faith. But I'm going to tell you my only understanding of faith that has totally revolutionised my life. And it's simply this, trust. I just trust God. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, when we have floods, So here's my son, Michael, starting this mission, living by faith, no income. We've been flooded twice. And in the last few weeks, got flooded completely. Lost everything within the place. He rings me up by night and he goes, Dad, he's bawling his eyes out. He goes, Dad, it's tough, but I trust God. When you've trusted God and known it's worked before, yeah. You can trust him that it works yeah. now. And so he says to me, Dad, we need $100,000 in a week. Council has shut the door on this, this and this and this and we have to be able to pay this money. He's living by faith. There's no, and I'm not even exaggerating this this morning. I'm not even making it up. This is the truth and it sounds extreme. You know, I'm not evangelistically speaking. I'm, I'm not stretching it, you know. And he rings me. I said, let's pray, Michael. Let's pray. God can do it. Three days later, a man knocks on my door. A farmer from Murray Bridge in South Australia. You wouldn't know where that is, but it's, it's obviously the farming region. Turns up at my house with, he looked like he needed an offering being given to him. <laughs> I've shown these guys the photos, haven't I, Don? I've showed Don the photos and Julia. And they know I'm not exaggerating. He looked like, you know, he was probably needing a feed. (laughs) Pulls out a blank check book, a blank check, and he says, God's told me you need to fill that in, even if it's the size of a house. And I turned around and said, never on your life will I sign a blank check. If God told you to come here, let him tell you what to do. I don't want on my conscience that I ask for too much or not enough. There is a miracle that you could be part of that I'll tell you afterwards. He went out to my front veranda, prayed for 10 minutes, came back in and wrote me a cheque for $100,000. I rang my son, Michael. I said, I want you to meet someone. Told him the story on FaceTime. And both men crying because the man that gave is so touched that he was used by God. And that God used him. My son's touched that God knows his address and knows where the need is. And those miracles have not stopped. And I have a prophetic word, which I will give you in a moment. But I also want to give you a prophetic picture of what I believe God is doing right now. And I have preached from this passage of Scripture for so many years, even here. But I'm seeing something fresh again as God is wanting to resurrect the church. And it's Ezekiel chapter 37, the story of the Valley of Dry Bones. The Lord took hold of me and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord is saying. 
I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly, do you know we can live in a place of incredible deadness and then there's a suddenly. You know, let me say this. If you do your everyday trusting Jesus, you will have a suddenly. Like what happened with Michael. With your church going through what you've been through, can I say to every volunteer in this place, can I say to every one of you that's willing to go wherever you meet, can I say they are tests that if we pass them, can I say to you, thank you. From God, thank you. Because a lot of people won't step out of comfort. If I have to drive that fast ticket, when my son died, if he was back to life right now and lived two hours away, I would drive whatever I had to drive to get to be with him. And yet we cut this comfort Christianity that is not going to change the world and got the power to blow the fuzz off a peanut, honestly. (laughs) Anyway, sorry, that comes from all my old days because Don brought that out of me. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed around the bones. The skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message. I'm getting messages as I'm reading this. I've got to hold myself together here. Speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, let the four winds breathe. Let the four winds breath into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me and breath came into their bodies and they stood up on their feet, a great army. Again, I'm getting distracted as I'm reading this. I'm getting stuff. So let me give you some points from this passage of Scripture that I believe is what God is saying. You test it right now. Number one, we need to let God get hold of us. And the Lord got hold of me. Not COVID arguments. Christians have not been able to find unity in the conversation about the pandemic. You see, how on earth are we ever going to lay our lives down for the gospel where we can't even sort this one out? In the Western world, I have been disgusted at the ungodliness in the church over COVID. And I think, where is Jesus in all this? Because the minute I become a Christian, my life is no longer my own. The minute I become a Christian, according to Scripture, my life should be for others. How does my action affect others, not about my rights? And I want to tell you, that's a longer conversation. It may raise more questions. But disappointment, discouragement, disillusionment, conspiracy theories are getting hold of the church right now. We need to let God get hold of us. All through COVID, all through cancer, all through, and I'm not blowing my own trumpet because I'm as weak as anybody else. I couldn't survive without the Word of God. I couldn't survive without revelation into my life. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11 and 12, the Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. He said, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do and don't live in dread or what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. 
Come on. How does the guy who wrote the book of Revelation, he's on the Isle of Patmos, he's amongst mad people and he's in the spirit on the Lord's day. We're in the world, we're not of the world and we're in the world. We need to let God take hold of us. Now listen to this. I was reading this the other day and I thought Ezekiel allowed God to get hold of him. But when he was first called into the ministry, it started 37 chapters earlier. When the word of the Lord says, stand up, son of dust, I'm going to put my spirit into you and I'm going to cause you to give my message whether people listen or not. And if they don't listen, it's not your problem. It'll be on their shoulders. But if you don't pass on my message, it'll be on your shoulders and they're not going to listen. So can you imagine we have people called into the ministry that are driven by results. The ministry should not be driven by results. It should be driven by obedience. And Ezekiel is called by God to follow him and he gets disappointed. The things God asked him to do, he got him to lay down next to some poo. I mean, some of the stuff that Ezekiel had to do to create a picture. And here he is 37 years later. Oh, sorry, 37 chapters later. I don't know how many years it was, but a few years. He lets the Lord get hold of him. He could have got bitter. He could have got angry. Now, I'm going to share something because you are family. It probably shouldn't be recorded, but here we go. (laughs) When I was pastoring the church, I'm speaking prophetically right now, I know. When I was pastoring the church, a lot of people at, at certain times left me. Do you know how much guilt I lived with? Realising, could have I done better? You know, contrary to public opinion, pastors and leaders don't wake up in the morning and go, who can I hurt today? Yeah. <laughs> who am I going to upset today? Who am I going to really tick them off so they'll leave the church? <laughs> We get up every morning and say, God, we want to be used by you. And so a lot of people left and I knew the reasons, but it's not what the people were told. And if I went and told the real reasons, people would think I was up myself trying to defend myself. You see, what God told Ezekiel, listen to this, three chapters into the book of Ezekiel, he says, I've called you to be a watchman. Now I'm going to send you home to shut your mouth. And I'm going to stick your tongue to the roof of your mouth so you can't speak. And I think, flip in, Nora. You're calling me to be a speaker and now you stick my tongue to the roof of my mouth so I can't speak. And I remember when I was a young man, I said, God, what's that all about? He said, there's a right time to speak. You can say the right thing at the wrong time. And you speak when I unstick your tongue so you don't get emotionally involved. I was 27 when God gave me that and it's saved me so much. Nevertheless, stuff happens. I promise you I'm not lying to you this morning because it does sound far-fetched. In the last three years, a lot of those people have just turned up on my doorstep. 25 years later, saying, Danny, we've just come to repent. The problem wasn't you, it was the broken inside of us and the only unity we had was our attack on you. Do you know in some marriages that aren't working, the only attack they have is on the church. That's where they're united. But you know what I thought? I've carried guilt for all those years, Don, I didn't need to carry. And I realised all of a sudden I can't make everybody happy. But I've got to know that I've allowed the Lord to take hold of me. 
Not the anger. Not the disappointment. Not the discouragement. But the Lord get hold of me. But this is what I prophesy right now about what's happening in New Zealand and Australia is number two, Ezekiel let God take him to a present reality. In other words, what do you see, Ezekiel? Dead bones. What do you see, Inspire Church? A flooded building. It's been gutted. And we aren't excited about it. And we are saddened by it. God does not want us to ignore the current reality. Right now, Australia is the top eight nations voted as an atheist nation in the world. That is our present reality. Our present reality as a Christian Prime Minister ain't going to change anything. Because righteousness exalts a nation and that starts in the church. And the church is dead in its sound in our community and I'm believing that that's beginning to shift. But we've got to face our current reality. It's tiring getting up Sunday mornings and doing pop-up church. It's tiring getting up and doing when we had a building. Where was God in all that? God will do anything to grow us to be like him no matter what the circumstance. That's why we read James chapter 1. So we need to let God take us to our present reality. Number three, we need to be honest about how we feel in that present reality. We can't get all super spiritual. Oh, you know, praise the Lord, never mind. No, no, this sucks. And the present reality is if we've got to get shifting around different buildings, people will leave the church. And not everybody's going to come back. The amount of pastors that have had nervous breakdowns because Christians haven't come back after COVID. But I prophesied and I sent a message to this church probably three years ago when COVID started that there'd be church leavers, church cleavers, Christ followers and Christ seekers. Do you remember that when I sent it to you? I said, people who leave the church and never come back because they weren't walking with Christ, they were walking with church. And this is what the Holy Spirit said to me, wait till you hear this. He said, over the years, many people have left the church. God is about to move where thousands are coming back, but they're not coming back to the church, they're coming back to Christ through the church. They left the church, but they're coming back to Christ. And when they come back to Christ, they'll build the church. I don't serve the church because I love the church. Sometimes it drives me nuts. But it is God's family and it is God's pattern and I can drive people nuts too. But I follow Jesus and he said, I'll build my church. I was in prayer last year and God said, Danny, I'll build my church. I'm just not building yours. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Whatever's happened in New Zealand recently, what's happened in Australia, I predicted it 17 years ago. You know that, Don. That we predicted, hey, pride comes before a fall. Pride is not pride unless it has success. No one's going to have three people in their church and go, I'm so proud. (laughs) You start growing and being successful and we start turning our labels into babels. Let's make our name great. And God says, I resist that. Now, how do you resist something if it's not coming towards you? We can pray. We can seek God to bless our dreams. And God resists it. 
because it's not what I'm building. And I prophesy right now, God's about to build something so awesome. But we've got to be honest about our current reality. Number four, I'm, ne- I'm getting there. Sorry, I've gone a bit long because I've got a word for the church real quickly. But let's accept our sometimes posture of I don't know. Yeah. The greatest thing that's happening with me right now with non-Christians is how can there be a God when your son was killed by a lightning strike? And I said, you know, there's a lot of things this side of heaven that I'm never going to have clarity on or have answers. So can I give you my five non-negotiables? Can I give you the stuff that I will die for? The other things are open for conversation. I know I was called by God. I know Jesus died for me on the cross and rose from the dead and I can't shake that conviction. And I went through the things that are non-negotiable. And I say to my non-Christian friends, all these help me live in the I don't know. We can all live in the I don't know. We're never going to know. Is the Antichrist in the injection? (laughs) I don't know and I don't care because my non-negotiables keep me going no matter what happens or wherever I am. We major on minors because we're not walking personally with Jesus in love with him and we go off with conspiracy theories and everything else. Let me tell you something. Criticism is love turned cold. When we attack what we see, we attack this, we attack. I walk with Jesus every day and I see crap all the time. But it doesn't affect my walk because I can't walk corporately with a church unless I walk personally with Jesus. So guess what? When my son died, number five, I had to trust God in the I don't know. Hey, Ezekiel, can these bones live? I don't know. Only you, Lord. What a lack of faith. What a lack of faith. If we were in the faith message today the wrong way, Ezekiel would say, what do you see? I see healthy bodies. I see healthy bodies. I see a wonderful army. I see a wonderful army. No, I see dead bones. And I don't know if they're going to live. Do you know how many people are saying the church is finished? No, it ain't finished. Jesus is going to build his church. There's no plan B. I was standing in church with Tony Rainbow the other day, the pastor I'm working with, and that lady's got long hair. I've got no hair. (laughs) And someone came up to him and goes, Pastor Tony, you look just like Jesus. And I turned around and said, and I look just like Buddha. (laughs) Pick your religion. Which one do you want? But when you know Jesus and you trust him, you can still be honest and say, I don't know. What's Inspire Church going to look like in 10 years? We don't know. But you know, Lord. And then it doesn't stop there because listen to this. He says, number six, speak prophetically into the current reality. And number seven, God says, and I'll breathe on it. This is a time to speak prophetically. And God's going to breathe. So let me say this. Right now there's a movie just come out called The Jesus Revolution. You need to go and see it because my wife and I got on fire for Jesus when that happened. My wife and I were in a band. We travelled around singing. Most of the people on that movie stayed in our home. Melody Green, Keith Green. We travelled with Keith Green, my wife and I. 
Some of the guys that changed the world, some of you don't even know who I'm talking about. But this movie changed the world as a Jesus revolution. And the Holy Spirit's been saying to me for over a year now, it's about to happen again. But listen to me, and I've run out of time. If musicians can come, please, and I'll be real quick. I'm sorry, I've probably gone a little bit over, but I'll, I'll, I'll shorten it in. The Holy Spirit said to me, He said to me, there is an awakening about to happen around the world, but it won't do anything unless individuals turn it into personal revival. A lot of people go off over here. I've got to go to America. I've got to go here. I've got to go there. I've got to go and touch the revival. The revival can start right in here. But we can acknowledge awakenings. We can acknowledge that God's bringing awakening, but let's not worship the awakening. Let's allow the awakening to turn our hearts into revival. And because of time, maybe another time we'll continue this conversation, but I want to say there's an awakening coming, but it's our personal responsibility to let it touch our own lives and stoke the fire in Jesus' name. Now, just before we go to communion, I was praying for you. And as I was praying for you, I felt the Lord say, encourage, inspire church. That in the book of Revelation, there's a church of Philadelphia. And the Bible says that God said, I'll open a door before you that nobody can shut. That church had gone through so much stuff and so much persecution and so much rubbish. And I felt God say, I only open doors that no man can shut for churches that can handle the rubbish and the changes and the shiftings. And it says later in the chapter, he that overcomes, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more, but I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. Philadelphia had earthquakes all the time. And people would have to run out of their homes because the houses would crash in. And he says, he that overcomes, I'll make a pillar. Oh, doesn't that bring you to tears? And God says, there's a time when the running in and out's going to stop. But you've got to overcome. And the things that this church in Philadelphia did, and this church has got this and needs to be fueled is relationship. I know your works. Philadelphia was a church of brotherly love. That's what it was called. That's what the name Philadelphia means. He says, I know your works. And the works was the way they stuck together under pressure. It says you have little strength. Can I say this word? And I'm not saying it because these guys are my friends and I'm, I'm rushing here. But I have to say this to you this morning. Thank you for getting tired. He said, you have little strength. Do you know there's good tired and bad tired? The tired by doing the wrong thing can destroy you. The tired by doing the right thing will rebuild you. Thank you for getting tired in the season of your building being gutted. Little strength. You've obeyed my word. They stayed in revelation and they were a people of resolved, faithful under pressure. Relationship. Resilience, revelation, and results. Those four things, and we'll talk about it outside of this meeting, is what God is asking this house to do right now. Strengthen your relationship. 
strengthen your resolve. Stay resilient under pressure. Does this make sense? Because there's a lot you can't see that's up ahead. But God can't open doors that no man can shut if we're not prepared to go on that journey. And this church went on that journey. We're going to take communion this morning. And this is what I felt in prayer. That as we sing, whatever the guys choose to sing, you can come and take communion. But if you feel today that you want to come and stand with your communion just here at the front, facing out, facing in, whatever, we're not being religious, and say, God, I want to stay in personal revival and I don't want things to push me around and situations. I want all the dead things in my life to be revived and I want to stand up a mighty army with an army, but Ezekiel made it personal before it became a corporate army. Let's personally make a fresh commitment for the future to say, God, as I take communion today, as I take this communion today, God, I'm in with you and I'm not going to let things shape me because you will give me your peace, your presence and keep me in your purpose. Let's all stand, shall we? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We pray that you would activate something in your life and shift your life towards Jesus. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, just click follow. We love you. Have a blessed week.